Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You got Rommel yet? Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. Finally starting to feel a little bit like fall time. For God's sakes, someone get someone get Josh Heupel in Allegra time. That man's got some allergies time. That will confuse people into thinking it's something worse than it is time. Because of the era that we live in time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a pleasant Thursday afternoon here in God's own Knoxville, Tennessee. Fort Rucker Studio just a couple miles away from Neyland Stadium where Tennessee will not be playing uh, this weekend. Tennessee will be in the swamp, a place where nothing ever, ever goes wrong for the Vols. So everybody's got a lot to look forward to there. It's a nice 63 degrees as we are recording this podcast, which is fine with me, but that means it's going to be like 40 degrees before we know it, and that's that's when I'm not okay because my body shuts down uh, below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. It does not like it. It does not like it, and the man coming on here to join me for this podcast will probably make fun of that, and I don't care. Let's go down to the Blount County Satellite Office at Govals 24-7, bring in the one, the only, Grant Ramey. Grant, what's up, man? It's hoodie weather. How can you have any complaints about hoodie weather? Yeah, I don't know. A lot of people say you can always put on more clothes. I say you can drink more water. I prefer the heat. So uh, a lot of people also don't. I need I need a I need a podcast recommendation on something explaining allergies and sinuses and how some people that live around here get dominated by them. And I don't feel anything at all. Maybe I'm just the perfect human. You know when. Uh, I remember this because, uh, you know, my wife lived in D.C. for years and came back down here and just had an awful time with the allergies at first. And we looked it up, and Knoxville is consistently one of the 10 worst-rated cities for allergies in the United States of America. Did you know that? I did not know that. My wife struggles with allergies as well, and I've never – never a day in my life have I taken a Claritin or a – what's the other one? Zyrtec or Zyrtec, any of that Allegra, stuff. Yeah, any of that stuff. Zizel, any of that stuff. But My, the, my body just dominates. Apparently, man, you, you are in good physical shape, so congrats you on need that. To, you need to – clip that audio and replay it over and over because you know knoxville's in a bowl right there's mountains on every side so just kind of the the nastiness just kind of gets trapped in here uh which in which in many ways is a metaphor for how things are going oftentimes around here i think that's that explains perhaps a lot of things got a lot of angry people with bad allergies that's got to be what it is um but yeah we are bringing this to you a little bit earlier than usual on a thursday uh we just got done speaking with tennessee coach josh heupel in a little bit couple uh, quick reminders uh, or, or quick heads up. If you hear 
uh, any background noise, that is because right now uh, there are a, a couple of guys downstairs actually installing impli- appliances in our kitchen. But this was the time Grant could do it today. So th- this is, again, we're all trying to live lives here. And this is these are the things that we do. So if you hear a clank clank or anything like that, um, or a dog going crazy at the clank clank, that would be the reason for that. So we're, we just, you know, it, it's head on a swivel time, isn't it, Grant? It's always head on a swivel, but I mean, installing a refrigerator, delivering it, that's a man's job. Why didn't you just do it yourself? Uh, because they offered to do it when I purchased it, and I said, yes, please. What would Ron Swanson do? Well, I mean, I've been redoing the nursery for like two weeks Trust now. another man to deliver his refrigerator? No, I think not. Yeah, but I'm, I'm building my son's room from scratch. Ron Swanson wouldn't even give somebody his address. That's true. That's a very good point. Grant, this is a big, big week for Tennessee. We all know that. The Vols. Going down to Gainesville to play the 11th-ranked Florida Gators, 7 p.m. Eastern, Saturday night on ESPN. And, um, you know, it, it's a lot of people got upset, or at least a few people did, in, in our, our Monday episode. They said I spent the first 20 minutes or so saying too many good things about Florida. And the only response I, I have to that is to say Tennessee is anywhere between like a 17- and 20-point underdog in this game, and I feel the need to sort of explain why that's the case. So, you know, I think the way Florida performed against Alabama last week probably exceeded most expectations. I mean, I assume Dan Mullen and his players went into the game thinking they could win it. Um, but most people outside, I mean, it was, what, a 10-14 point spread? And I very quickly said, yeah, Bama will cover. I don't care if it's the Swamp. Bama will cover. Uh, and, it, you know, Bama needed a, to stop a two-point conversion play, a really bad two-point conversion play, it should be said, there late in the fourth quarter and then get a first down to to seal that game. But, man, Florida really pushed Bama down there. If you want me to counterbalance and say something positive about Tennessee, I think they're a 18-and-a-half-point dog right now. I think it opened at 16-and-a-half. It went to 20. It's come back down to 18-and-a-half. Tennessee in 2001 was a 17-and-a-half-point underdog when it went to the Swamp. So – transitive property one plus one equals two this is the 2001 Tennessee team all over again right there you go so who will play the role of Travis Stevens will it be Hindenburger running the ball himself or, or will it be uh, like Jabari Small coming back like Willis Reed or will it be Tyon Evans coming back from a disappointing week last week and, and just running over them Travis Stevens style yeah I mean to your point the Alabama game I, I immediately thought yeah Alabama covers that spread because of what we'd seen from Alabama to that point and you hadn't really seen anything in terms of a major test from Florida uh, to that point. Um, and, and we were, I was talking to Patrick in the press box last week, when we have those noon kickoffs, you, you finish the post-game press conference right as that three thirty CBS game is kicking off or, mm-hmm. or it's kicking off as you're starting that press conference. And I said to Patrick, I wonder if this will still be a game by the time we get out of the high pool press conference. And it really started out kind of the exact way I thought. I mean, they jumped out to a 21, three lead with a minute left in the first quarter. And you thought that's it. It's over. Uh, you know, good game, Florida. Thanks for coming out. And then they they give up, what, 10 points the rest of the way, and they get it back to 31-29, and they have a chance to tie the game there late uh, with a two-point conversion. If it, if it doesn't fail there, they tie the game, and, and who knows what happens from there. So uh, as as impressive as Alabama had looked the first few weeks, you know, the way Florida responded and the way Florida played that game, it's hard not to say a lot of good stuff about Florida because that was a really, really big test and they passed it even though they, you know, they're not into moral victories and all that stuff, but that's a pretty big test you passed right there. And they kept, uh, they kept Anthony Richardson uh, in the cooler uh, getting healthy. Right. So he was injured, but he was doing a backflip on the field pregame. 
I mean, is, uh, yeah. I don't really understand what's yeah, going on I, there. I don't, but. I don't either. Yeah, but but you know, when he's been on the field this season, it, uh, albeit in a limited role, he he's been awfully scary, and and yes. you know, he's uh, an absolute freak of a talent. I mean, he's going to be the next great Florida quarterback that everyone outside Gainesville hates. I'm guessing uh, he's going to be that guy. But I mean, Emory Jones does a nice job, kind of you know, pulling the strings of that offense, and, and you saw in that game that that a running quarterback can, you know, nullify a lot of things, right? It's it, it's always been a great equalizer. It's still a great equalizer. Um, and that's why Florida was able to, to you know, do, stay pretty simple on offense but but get some yards and make some plays against Alabama. The, the one thing, though, that, that I saw in that game that really sort of – I don't want to say set off alarm bells for me, um, but really got my attention. I think I mentioned this just briefly in the Monday edition of the podcast was – the the way that if you go back and watch the the highlights and or some some drives from that game, there were a few moments where Bryce Young made absolutely fantastic plays. I mean, extending plays, throwing accurately downfield on the run, putting balls right where they need to be put, and Florida was still knocking them away. So Florida secondary w- was sticking pretty well to some of those Bama receivers and. You know, Tennessee's receivers in this game are going to have to get some separation. They're going to have to make plays because they're going to have to soften up that Florida defense in order to to move the ball down the field, I, I think. Or, or else, you're, you know, if Florida can just load up the box and they can just play man on the back end or, or play a couple of zones with some blitzes and they can really, really don't have to worry too much about the passing game, this game will be over before it starts. They're they're gonna have to take the top off that Florida defense a couple times, I think, to 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 get some sort of a balance on offense to have success. When we went into that bowling green game a few weeks ago, there was a lot of talk about Hypel and he actually does run the football and there are numbers to support that. This isn't just a pass happy offense where they pass it sixty times and they maybe run it fifteen times. This is an offense where they, they're gonna get their yardage on the ground and they rush for like three thirty or something against bowling green. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, some you know, pretty big number. Uh, Jabari Small and, and Tyon Evans both had, I think, one sixteen apiece and, and a touchdown. So I came away from that game thinking, okay, if you can do that pretty consistently, if you can run and have that much success, I understand why this offense is a lot more balanced than maybe people think about it at first glance if you haven't watched a ton of it like I assume a lot of Tennessee fans had not before Josh Heifel got here but ever since then it's it's really been a struggle and obviously you, you lost Jabari Small uh, in, the, in the second quarter against Pitt uh, you didn't have tie on in that game you got tie on back against Tennessee Tech you didn't have Jabari Small against Tennessee Tech but even then against Tennessee Tech against a far inferior opponent they didn't get that great of a push and they're dealing with offensive line injuries and they're shuffling up front and they're doing all that stuff you got to go to Florida and you got to get some kind of push. You got to be able to run the ball at least a little bit because you're not going to be able to rely on whoever is at quarterback. There's not a huge difference between Joe Milton III and him and Hooker in terms of just physical talent. You're not going to be able to rely on them to just beat you. If, if Bryce Young, like you said, is going to put the ball where it has to be and as impressive as he's been to still kind of get shut down by that Florida defense at times and only score 10 points over the last three quarters of that game. You're going to have to find a lot of different ways to do it offensively to stay on the field because you can't just go quick three and outs with the depth concerns that this team already has. Yeah, and that was sort of my point on Monday, and I'll, I'll say this just one more time and then we'll, we'll move on. But, you know, I, I said going into the season that the, there were a lot of people who believed, steadfastly believed, and I, I mean I understood the reason for this, but they believed Georgia would just run away with the East. And, and I even though Georgia beat Clemson, 
I still don't buy that. Uh, I, I think the way that Florida played against Alabama, I, I think that is going to be a very, very interesting game. Now, of course, since Florida lost uh, to Bama, you know, Florida's got to run the table from here on out, right? Florida can't um, – you know, it, it, it can't trip up again because then it could lose to Georgia or beat Georgia and it wouldn't matter because uh, it would have two losses and Georgia would have one unless someone else, you know, upset Georgia. So so I, I, I that was my only point was that I, I'd never – say what you will about Dan Mullen. The guy's a really good football coach. He's a weird dude, but he's a good football coach and he's a quarterback whisperer. They're going to be good offensively. They're always going to be good offensively. And Florida always, you know, even though it hasn't been recruiting at quite an elite level since Mullen's been there, still has some athletes on defense and some dudes that can give you problems. So I, I, I think this is a game where Tennessee, if Tennessee executes its offense the way I think Tennessee is capable of executing its offense, I think Tennessee can give Florida some problems. I do very much believe in the upside of those Tennessee wide receivers. Uh, I think someone like Valus Jones Jr., when he's used appropriately, is a very good player. There are conversely times where they just sort of forget that he exists and they need to stop doing that. But I, I think he's a good player. I think Jalen Hyatt is capable of running behind just about any defensive back in this country. I think he is that fast. Uh, I think Cedric Tillman can go up and get 50-50 balls. I think Jimmy Callaway is a really nice talent. You know, and you got guys like Walker Merrill who can make some plays for you here and there, catch some balls on third downs and do those things. you got a couple of tight ends who can catch the ball. They've got, if they can put the ball where it needs to be, they can make plays in the passing game. This is a very, very good offensive system. It works. It's always worked. Everywhere Heupel has been, this thing has worked. That That's not a... You know, that, that there's a reason for that. And, and when he was at UCF, it's not like he's playing with an SEC team against, a, you know, AAC teams. He's, he's playing with AAC players against AAC players. You know, when, when he's at Missouri, this thing is working, albeit with an NFL quarterback, but that thing is working. This offense works. You just got to execute it. So if Tennessee can go down there, because they're going to give up some points. Uh, you look at Florida's offense, the way those quarterbacks run. You look at the, some of the concerns Tennessee has, specifically over the middle of the field, inside linebacker, the safeties. That's a disaster waiting to happen. Florida's going to put some points on the board. But if this offense, Grant, I think if this offense does what it's capable of doing, it can make this a game. It can. And what's funny, um, we've been through this so many times with new coaches that you wonder if, you know, we've talked about how Tennessee plays Georgia just about every year. It doesn't matter what the talent disparity is. There's, it's usually a pretty tight contest, a yeah. pretty weird game. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it feels like all these Tennessee teams over the years have faced Florida and been a shell of themselves. They've been wide-eyed and flat-footed and just anything that can go wrong in that kind of game goes wrong and they get behind early and it's a disaster uh, save for, you know, uh, the one time when they come back from down three touchdowns to win in Neyland a few years ago. Uh, under Butch so you know and this staff has been you know positive vibes only all through camp and all this stuff and they obviously you, you lost a pit that was a test you didn't pass that test now this is obviously the first true really big test because Pitt was 10 points worse than Western Michigan and here is uh, a Florida team that took Alabama uh, down to the wire after being down so far early so the question is they, they battled against Pitt and they did some good stuff in that game and they fought against a lot of adversity and, and some teams in the past would roll over and die. Now, how far 
can this team fight into this game? At what point, you know, how much depth do they have? How much can they put up with? How much of a fight can they put into this Florida team? I think that's kind of my biggest question. And to your point, this offense will work if you have the players and you have the depth and you have everything you need. They don't have everything they need. For me, it's a matter of what does this team look like against Florida? How does it compare to what past teams have looked like in terms of just executing what it can do and staying out of its own way long enough to make this interesting? Yeah, you know, and I think I think too much was made of Pitt's game against Western Michigan this past week because I totally understand why a lot of Tennessee fans looked at that and said, "Oh God." Um, but I, <laughs> I, I I think, and don't get me wrong, that 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 is an appropriate reaction if you don't know the history of Pitt football. Uh, you, you don't you can't just look at Tennessee in a vacuum here. Um, and, and, and in their def- in their defense. They react to a lot of stuff like that for good reason. Oh, absolutely. Over the last ten to twelve oh, years. Oh God, yes, absolutely. But uh, but my, my only point was, I, I have some family up there, and so I, I through them and stuff, and the, the holidays and things you hear about pit football. So I know pit football. I keep an eye on the program, and that is what Pitt did in that two week span of beating Tennessee at Neyland Stadium and then losing uh, to, to Western Michigan. That that is the story of pit football. You look every year. Pitt will, you know, go out there and, you know, beat, well, beating Florida State now is not a big deal. But when it used to be a big deal, something like that, or, you know, giving Clemson a good game or beating Clemson with, with you know, Nathan Peterman at quarterback or, or almost beating him. That is the story of Pitt is a couple times a year it's going to go out there and do way better than you thought it, it would. And then it's going to lose a couple games where you go, what the hell, Pitt? That, that is Pitt. That's what Pitt does. So I'm not – I still look at that Pitt game for Tennessee – and I look at everything that went wrong. I look at all the injuries. I look at the dumb plays. I look at the turnovers. I look at the missed opportunities for big plays. I look at all that. And then I see Tennessee still was a bad spot of the ball away from potentially you know tying that game or taking the lead in the fourth quarter. And I see that. Don't get me wrong. There's no moral victories here. I'm not taking it as a positive for Tennessee. I'm just not. I'm not taking that and extrapolating it to an entire season full of misery because I just I, I think there were things in that game that you can point to and you can without having to stretch it, you can say, okay, that could have gone better and and really it could have gone a lot worse and it didn't. And I think there's something to be said for that because I think this offense can work. This offense was out there without several of its best players, most important players, and it still went out there and gave a pretty good fight and put some plays up there. So, I mean, it's throwing to, you know, guys like Walker Merrill in the first half. And no, no offense to him, I mean, he's, he's a solid player. He's a true freshman who had a, has had a banged-up knee since he's been on campus. You know, that's not normally a guy you'd want to rely on early in his career. So they were able to do some of those things. I think this is a game where everything – Nearly everything has to go right. There's no perfect game in football. It doesn't exist. It's never existed. It never will exist. It's not a thing. But I think when you look at Tennessee and you look at the players on the field, you look at this system, you look at the guys who can do things in this system, Tennessee has to play really, 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 really well to make this a game. But I think it's a possibility. And if I didn't believe it was a possibility, I wouldn't say that. Now, the fact that it's Florida, Grant, makes me think it won't happen because Tennessee going to the Swamp usually is, is a disaster. But I think it very much could happen. And and there's one kind of out of uh, uh, an event kind of out of sequence here. Florida, it feels like for the past 20 years, has played Bethune-Cookman three times before playing Tennessee. 
And Tennessee's mm-hmm. come off like an Oklahoma game or a, uh, you know, fill in the blank West Virginia, you know, whatever non-conference game in the weeks leading up to the Florida game. So it feels like Tennessee has had one of those marquee opponents while Florida hasn't really played anybody until they play Tennessee. Now, obviously they rarely play Alabama, but they play Alabama to open the SEC schedule the week before they play Tennessee. And you go from being a two touchdown underdog at home to a three touchdown dog at home. And everybody's saying, you're going to, you're going to, you know, handle this Tennessee team because of what this Tennessee team is right now and, and where it is a program. So how does Florida respond? And and traditionally in the past, teams have been pretty beaten up after playing Alabama uh, the week. If you get a team the week after Alabama, it's usually a little bit of a difference maker. So I don't know how much difference that plays into it physically, uh, what their injury report looks like, what it, how it compares to the week before that. Um, but if Tennessee does put up a fight, if it does look a little bit different than years past, then maybe that is part of the reason because – Alabama's coming off a really big test. You don't want you don't want that letdown. There, obviously, we talked about you know no moral victories, but that was impressive what they did last week. Now, how do they respond in a game where they're favored by three touchdowns and should win by three touchdowns? Yeah, it used to be LSU that left you with that horrible like week week after feeling, right. and now it's Alabama. And what's the through line there? It's pretty easy to see. It's Nick Saban. Uh, his teams are big. They are physical. They wear you down. And and I think before we go to break here, I, I think one of the biggest storylines in this game is what you just hit on. It's not about Tennessee as much as it is uh, about Florida in this case. And and it's this, what I just mentioned combined with what Grant just mentioned, it is Florida still controls its own destiny in the SEC East. And really in the entire SEC, if you think about it, because it can win out, including beating Georgia and it will be back in Atlanta. That's, that's, I mean, that's just what the, you look at the schedule and you can see that. Uh, so now the question is, does Mullen get his guys like, okay, guys, we were this close and we still – now the table is set for you. You have to be perfect, but if you're perfect the rest of the way, you can get another shot at Bama and, you know, we can go beat those guys. Or do you have a letdown because you're physically tired, you're frustrated mentally, and you go out there and you lay an egg against Tennessee the next week? That that's sort of how Mullen is as a motivator, and the leaders on that Florida team are as motivators this week. That's going to be a huge story, and, and that has very little to do with Tennessee. I think it does, and and you get a, a seven p.m. game in the swamp. I think that goes a long way towards what Florida can do or or, or could do in this game, uh, and how they respond. But yeah, I mean, this is uh, Dan Mullen. He's as awkward as as the day is long. Yes, but he's usually got a pretty good football team. It's usually pretty tough to defend. Um, it's going to be a matter of how many points can Tennessee score to keep up with, with what Florida is going to do offensively. And uh, if they're going to be able to control the ball offensively at all, move it and have some success in this up-tempo offense and, you know, contain the quarterback and kind of all the stuff that we can get to in the second segment. But yeah, it's going to be a huge thing, just how Florida responds to what happened last week. And something else that's going to be a huge part in this game is going to be the injury situation for Tennessee, and that's probably a good segue to get us out of here for the first segment because because we got to open the second segment by talking about that. You know, it's with Heupel and injuries, you you know, he just doesn't say much, so you're sort of trying to put two and two together and figure out things in your head. <laughs> he said this, so does it mean this, or or what does it mean? So we'll probably that's when you're supposed to go. But what does it mean, Grant? You know. Well, I can't I can't shout with my hashtag in all caps because I'm not a shouter. 
That's true. That's a good point. But we got to discuss Tennessee's injury situation. We got to discuss some matchups in this game. And we also have to discuss some, some big basketball recruiting news for Tennessee. So we got a lot more uh, to discuss here in the second segment. So don't go anywhere. Uh, but before that, understand that we got to go pay some bills, listen to products, services, in house ads, and other fun things. And we will be right back here on the Go Vols 24 7 podcast. Hashtag ad. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever product, services, and in-house ad you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Grant Ramey coming to you from the Go Vols 24-7 Blunt County Satellite Office down there in Merville, as he would call it, the City of Champions, the County of Champions. That is his opinion. He's not trademarked that yet, but I think he's trying to. We're here discussing Tennessee football primarily. Also going to do some basketball at the end of this episode because there's some big recruiting news, as per usual, with Rick Barnes' basketball program. But we're primarily discussing football in this episode because Tennessee is going down to the Swamp this weekend to face the 11th-ranked Florida Gators down there in Gainesville. Lots and lots to discuss Plenty more. We'll get to that. We're going to talk some injuries and some other things here in this segment. Uh, but before we do that, uh, just a quick reminder, guys, take about 90 seconds out of your day right now. You can do this while you're listening to the podcast. Go in there and subscribe to this podcast. Rate and review this podcast. If you're just listening on the website, nothing wrong with that. It's like Ron Swanson with alcohol. There's no wrong way to consume the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. But uh, but what really helps us is if you go in there, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere in the world, uh, you can cast a, a fine pod. You can find this Govals 24-7 podcast. We do this for free, and we're happy to do it. It's a labor of love. But the one thing that we're going to ask for is that you go in there and subscribe and rate and review and tell your friends, too. That's the easiest way for us to keep adding wolves to this wolf pack. Uh, we, we've grown every month, every year since we started this thing years ago. It's been a really fun ride, uh, and it, it's been an uneven ride because Tennessee has had given us quite a bit of uh, good, and, but also quite a bit of bad things to discuss over the years. But we've been here. We've gotten through it together. We've discussed it. We've, we've talked our way through it. It's been good, but we really, really, really could use y'all keep continuing to do that because that helps us do all of these things. Uh, it helps us do all this for free as we hope to continue doing it for free. Uh, uh, and also go to GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets to get coverage of all Tennessee athletics all the time. Got a good deal right now. I'll tell you about that at the end of this segment. But uh, basically right now, go to GoVols247.com. It is basically uh, this podcast in written form, 24 hours a day, seven days per week. And, and I guess um, – 
Yeah, that's about it. Grant, going into this week, uh, Tennessee's injury situation, which I'll credit Josh Heupel for this. He has not whined about this a lot. He has said, and I think it's true, uh, that this team is more banged up than he would like it to be at this point in the season. Uh, that might be a Captain Obvious statement, but I think it's it's worth mentioning because this team went into this season with a list of guys, and you were like, okay, you really don't want like these five guys to get hurt. And like three of them are already hurt. So so that's not been good. Um, but Heupel, to his credit, has not complained about it. He's just said, listen, we, we'd rather have all our guys, but we don't. We're going to go play games. So that's been good. He he's, hasn't made any excuses about it, at least publicly. Uh, but uh, on the flip side of that, he also uh, – we don't know going into games exactly who is going to be able to play and who isn't. Uh, and that's that's Heupel's right. He doesn't have to say anything. It's his ball, his court. There's no SEC rule, no NCAA rule saying he has to talk about these things. Uh, and most coaches choose to a little bit. Uh, he chooses to very, very little. He does not say a lot. Um, you know, he, we've, we've kind of picked it up by now, Grant. It's that on Saturdays after games, he says he hasn't really talked to the trainers yet and he's not sure. On Monday, he says, you know, I'll know a little bit more here in the middle of the week. You know, we'll see how they are for practice. Then when we talk to him on Wednesday and Thursday, it's, yeah, we'll, we'll see right before Friday, Saturday, you know, right before the game. We'll, we'll see how they're doing, you know, and we'll go from there. Basically, uh, every time he talks to us during the week, conveniently, he has, he has no updates on these guys. A college football coach will always know the injury answer the following day until the following day. Yes. Because then you get to the following day and it's, well, maybe tomorrow. And then when you get to the Thursday press conference and it's the last time you're going to talk to him before kickoff, he's like, yeah, we'll probably know tomorrow. Well, that doesn't do me any good because I don't talk to you on Friday. I don't talk to you on Saturday when you're getting off the bus in Gainesville. Um, but, yeah, it's it's not the number of injuries. It's who's injured. It's it's Joe Milton third. It's it's Jabari Small. It's it's Cooper May has been dealing with an ankle uh, since Bowling Green. It's like you said. It's those guys. When you go down the list, you need these these guys to stay healthy. This guy, this guy, this guy, and it's like they've gone down that list and gone, you know, shoulder injury, knee injury, leg injury, ankle injury, whatever. Um, and and even going into the season, you looked at this roster, you looked at the depth chart, you looked at the scholarship numbers, and you thought it is what it is. It's going to be a lean year going to be probably the thinnest roster you've had here and how who knows how long um and despite that before they even get to florida before they even get to start the sec grind you have to go down these uh this list of extensive injury list of guys you don't want hurt and i don't blame hypo for not saying anything because these guys that are hurt are some of the most important guys on the roster yeah again i, I think people are misunderstanding what we're doing there we're not complaining we're sort of laughing because at least I am anyway, and I think Grant is too. He just laughed a second ago. I mean, we laugh at the lengths to which college coaches will go to not discuss these things. Whereas in the NFL, you know, they have an injury report uh, that, <laughs> that they pretty much only Bill Belichick really fudges things on. You know, everyone else is sort of pretty honest about that stuff. Uh, but there's no rule like that in college. And there are people who say, oh, it's illegal because of FERPA. Well, then every college football coach in the country would be in prison right now because they all, just about all of them discuss these things. But we, again, to be very, very clear, we are laughing about it. We're not complaining about it. It's just part of the job. Um, but looking at this report, uh, the, a lot of people, the first name off their, uh, on their minds will be Joe Milton III. And uh, as predictably, you know, as we could have told you going into it, Josh Heupel did tell us just a couple hours ago this morning that uh, he's not quite sure on Joe Milton III yet. He said he's been out there at practice, done a couple things this week. They will see. 
Uh, I will tell you uh, that he looks better from what I've talked to people I've talked to. He looks a lot better than he did last week, but he is still not a hundred percent. And I don't think he's that close to a hundred percent. He's still, uh, even when he's just walking around campus right now, he's got a little bit of a limp on that knee. So that, that doesn't mean maybe that he can't play, um, but it means that, you know, he's not going to be a hundred percent. And, what I did, and I had this conversation in our in our text thread uh, with our group thread earlier. I, I I probably I tried to put two and two together here, and, and maybe not maybe maybe that's not the right thing to do. But to me, when Josh Heupel said they're not planning on playing two quarterbacks in this game, and that's not the top plan or the priority. And then you hear him say they're not quite sure exactly just how close Joe Milton is. That, to me, sounds like the Hendon Hooker show on Saturday. But, uh, again, maybe I'm erroneously putting two and two together there. I mean, if you're Tennessee, I think if there's any question about Joe's health, his, if he's how close he is to 100%, um, how well he can move, what his mobility is like, I think you got to roll with Hendon Hooker because I don't think there's a big enough difference between the two where you try to force Joe Milton III into the game and try to be, you know, the – the guy that, that, that's, you know, coming to the rescue. Um, because even when he's hundred percent healthy, you know, obviously he has his flaws. He's missed a million downfield passes to a million open receivers who've gotten behind the secondary. Um, Hinton hooker has his flaws when he's hundred percent healthy. Uh, he didn't see that backside safety against Pitt uh, late in the game when he really needed to see that backside safety against Pitt. So I think if there's any question about Joe's ability to get out of the pocket, Joe's ability to run down the field, his ability to use his legs and become elusive as a running quarterback, then I think you roll with Hendon Hooker because he's been good enough in what we've seen so far that he can still manage this offense and he can still make plays with his legs. He can make throws. Uh, he's got a little bit more touch down the field. Uh, I just think they're so close in physical skill set and what they bring to this offense that if there's any question with Joe, you roll with Hendon. And the way I interpreted that answer, really for me it was – if they got two 100% healthy quarterbacks in Joe Milton III and Hendon Hooker, whoever you start, that's the guy you start, and that's the guy you're going to roll with. You're not going to be pulling the trigger after two, three and outs and throwing the next guy in there and seeing what he can do. They're going to find their guy. They're going to stick with their guy, and they're not really going to look back until they have to look back. Yeah, it's hard to give a simple answer to this. I know we live in sort of a hot take culture, um, but but I, I – I don't know that there's a simple take to this, but I, I'll, I'll try to simplify it to this to this extent. My belief, based on the what I've seen, uh, and based more importantly on what I've heard from you know coaches, from players in the program, from people around the program, I still believe that if all things are equal and all the quarterbacks are healthy, I think Joe Milton III needs to be this team's quarterback. Uh, I think the the upside that is there with him, I, I don't know if he'll reach it but I damn sure want to see him try because it could be really, really fun. That's that's the, the first point. The second point is I think I might play Hendon Hooker this weekend. Um, so I, I think Joe Milton III might be the guy throughout most of the season if he's healthy, but I think you might need to go with Hendon Hooker in this game, and there's a couple reasons for that. One, uh, it, even if Joe Milton is totally healthy, which we know he's not, he is not as willing a runner as Hendon Hooker is. Hendon Hooker is more willing to put the ball down and tuck it and go. Milton will do it, but he's usually looking to sort of extend plays and then throw, whereas Hooker, if he sees an open pasture, he's usually going to run to it. And I think in this game, any yards Florida's going to give you, you got to take them. So if they're going to give you seven yards or eight yards, 
go go scramble and go get those yards and slide and get out of bounds. Uh, and don't take hits like you did against Tennessee Tech that are going to get you decapitated in Gainesville. I, I would be careful with that, Hendon Hooker. But I, I think that, that's where I am on that is unless – if Joe Milton III is – healthy if he goes out there Saturday and, and for for warm-ups and he's running around he's looking good hey man I might go with him because when all those guys were healthy in camp everyone in the program that I talked to everyone now that doesn't mean everyone in the program that means everyone I talked to said Milton's the guy Milton's the guy and so if they're all healthy you, you probably go in that direction but uh, in this game, you're going to need some yards running from the quarterback because I don't know that the traditional running game is going to get a lot of push in this game. So, um, yeah, and because and, and, the way Milton can throw downfield, if he can do it accurately, which is a big if, that's something that, that could be useful in this game um, because I think Florida's going to play aggressively. You're going to get some guys open downfield if you can protect well enough and have time to get it down there. I think you can make plays in this game downfield. Uh, so... But with all that said, I, I, I just keep thinking about it that it's probably going to be Hooker this weekend. I, I could be wrong. We will see. But that's sort of the update there is we don't know a whole lot just yet. We're working on learning more. Uh, there is, however, much, much better news on some other guys. Um, it seems to me, from what I heard on Thursday, Grant, and I think I heard this correctly, it sounds like Cooper Mays is finally back ready to go at center and Jerome Carvin can slide back over to guard where he's a better player. Yeah, and that's huge. That's huge not only because you need Cooper Mays on the field, but like you said with Jerome, you slide him over and you take a guy like Ollie Lane or whoever keeps Snare off the field because what they looked like with Cooper Mays early against Bowling Green, you hope is what you look like more often than not than what we've seen since he's been gone. I think that's the importance there. It's not only Cooper's health, um, but it is the health of the entire offensive line and what that does for the rotation and where you can move certain guys uh, and what you look like five wide uh, up front. And it, it's they're going to have to get a push. They're going to have to get a push, and they're going to have to protect, uh, and they're going to have to give whoever the quarterback is uh, a chance. And Hendon, you're right about Hendon running the ball. He's not the fastest guy in the world. He's not the most athletic guy in the world. But he is a little bit creative um, when he is running the football, and he can do some things if you can give him some time and if you can get him out of the pocket or if you can uh, give him some space to run up the middle if he has to run up the middle. So, uh, it's hard to kind of overstate the importance of getting Cooper Mays back, but you hope he gets back and he looks like his old self and this offensive line can kind of get back to looking like what we saw uh, three weeks ago. Yeah, because Cooper Mays, again, he, he got hurt pretty early in that opener. So most of the time that he's out there, you're talking about plays that have been scripted for a while and that you've been working on the, for months and months going into the season. So he probably would run the offense more efficiently then because as the center in an up-tempo offense – you're one of the most important guys on the field. You're the guy who dictates the pace. You're the guy who gets everybody going. You're the guy who gets things ready for the next snap. You're the guy who gets the call quickly to the line, and then you go. And But that, with that said, it, it was pretty clear talking to people um, in the program for a while now that offensive linemen, generally speaking, are smart guys. They are uh, – they're, they're always – almost always football smart. And on top of that, they're usually – just smart guys on top of it so so they're just smart guys but Cooper Mays despite being a sophomore still consistently gets referred to as maybe the smartest guy in that room which is interesting because there's a lot of juniors and seniors in that group too a lot of guys who have been around the game a lot of guys who even guys who don't play a lot but they've been around the program for a while and they're smart guys but Cooper Mays just understands this game and is able to to process it very very well and, and that's why 
one of the reasons why Jeremy Pruitt staff loved him and why Josh Heupel staff quickly liked him a lot because he is a smart kid. He obviously, because he went to the best high school in the history of the world, but he is a smart kid and he understands this offense and he's athletic enough to go up there and to, to get the thing moving. And so doing that, because Carbon's very capable of doing it, there's no problem there, but it's just, he's now more of a natural guard. Whereas, Cooper Mays is more of a natural center, and in this game, the tempo uh, is something that maybe could bother Florida, right? Because Bama's not running outrageous tempo. Tennessee tries to run outrageous tempo, and, and when you have your your first choice center back, that gives you a lot more flexibility to do that. And as Grant very politely said, it also takes one of the weaker links of the offensive line out of the equation because whoever's playing that guard spot, that's sort of you know Carvin's old spot. That, that's been a sore spot for Tennessee this season because that should be K-Ron Calvert, and it's not because he's hurt. So they've had to shuffle some guys in there. It's not been great. The young guys aren't quite ready yet. The old guys haven't quite proven themselves yet either. So that's been a tough spot for them. So getting Cooper Mays back uh, would be a big, big deal for Tennessee, and that, that certainly, I think, would be a big boost for this offense in this game. Conversely, on the other side of the ball, uh, the, basically the quarterback of the defense, uh, Jawan Mitchell, the senior transfer from Texas, uh, seems to me like uh, the way Heupel presented this on Thursday was he said he expects Cooper Mays back. He's not sure about Joe Milton, but all the other guys who've been out, they should be good to go. And then he was asked specifically about Juwan Mitchell, and he said, yeah, I'm not quite sure about him yet. So was that the sense you got from that, Grant, that he's not quite convinced yet on Juwan Mitchell? Yeah, and, and I don't know, maybe it is a little bit of gamesmanship after saying what he said earlier that, you know, he expected these other guys back. And then when you get asked specifically about him, you kind of hesitate and maybe um, you, you act like you're not so sure. So uh, it's it's kind of, you know, you're left reading between the lines regardless of uh, who they're talking about. And uh, any time the injury situation uh, comes up this season with this coaching staff. So I think it could be that. Um, Tennessee's, you know, as like we said, as – Dan Mullen is awkward as the day is on, just kind of a weird dude. He had the number one pass offense last year with Kyle Trask, and this year he's got the number two ranked rush offense. Yeah. I mean, that's what he can do offensively. So the point is, Jawan Mitchell, you're going to need every single body that you can have on that front seven of that defense because you're going to have to contain the quarterback, whether it's Henry Jones, whether it's Anthony Richardson or both. You're going to have to contain this run game. You're going to have to let uh, not get those quarterbacks out of the pocket to extend plays and make plays down the field. And you're just going to need those bodies uh, against an offense that, you know, Dan Mullen wants to score as many points as he scores. You're going to need every single person on that front seven of that defense and the depth options behind those guys to be able to give you something, to be able to give you some quality football. And and it's like we talked about with all these guys that are injured. They're the, like the number one guys that you wouldn't want injured. When you go down the list, Jawan Mitchell is that guy uh, probably for this defense, because like you said, the quarterback of the defense, he's going to be the guy that calls a lot of stuff, gets everybody in the right sets and, uh, how they defend this Florida offense is going to rely heavily on whoever is, if it's Juwan or somebody else at that spot, uh, and how well they can play. And we will see uh, with guys like Dejon Terry and Latrell Bumpus and those guys, there's not been a specific update on any of them. Uh, I don't think we should take for granted the fact that Rodney Garner is able to just churn out the next guy and they go play pretty well. Like Aubrey Solomon came, you know, he, he had been on the milk carton a couple of weeks ago still, 
and he's out there making six tackles in like 12 snaps against Tennessee Tech late in the game. So but that shouldn't be taken for granted uh, because I think guys like Bumpus and, and Terry are very clearly two of Tennessee's better interior defensive linemen. Tennessee would very much like to have those guys in this game. But we will see. I don't know. We'll, we'll probably be waiting until we see them sort of warm up a couple hours before that game on Saturday, what those guys look like. So we we will see then, but those are certainly important guys. But, but getting back to the inside linebackers, Grant, before we move on to hoops, that's something I mentioned a little bit earlier in this week, and that's a matchup that really, really concerns me in this game. Because when I look at Tennessee's top four inside linebackers, and they usually play them kind of as a pair, right? They either go with the, uh, with the Jawan Mitchell-Jeremy Banks pair or the um, – or the Aaron Beasley and um, and Solon Page, the third pair. And with when you got Mitchell and Banks in there, if you run right at those guys, they're going to get you on the ground. They, they don't miss a lot of tackles. They hit you. They get you down. They're good. Um, but when you put them in pass coverage, it's a little bit more erratic, right? I mean, Mitchell's made a couple nice plays in space, um, but they, they are not great in that area. And then when you put guys like Page and Beasley in there, they are much better athletes in space. I know Page missed a big tackle late against Pitt. But generally speaking, I think he and Beasley are better players in space. They're both smaller, quicker guys. But if you run right at them, uh, you know, I, I think it's easier to run through those guys or to, to get around those guys in that way. And Florida will know that when Florida watches film because Dan Mullen has forgotten more about offense than any of us will, will ever know probably. And so he will see those matchups, and I think Florida will be able to exploit them. They'll put guys in motion. They'll use some of that quarterback run stuff. They'll use some of that RPO stuff. They'll pull it a little bit and, and get linebackers or, or get linebackers convinced that it's going to be a run, throw it over their head. They're going to run some of those crossing drag routes stuff over the middle. I, I just look at the middle of Tennessee's defense, the two safeties and the two inside linebackers, and I think there's a chance Florida could feast there in this game. I, I might be wrong. I, I would. It would be interesting to be proven wrong on this because that would be great news for Tennessee, but I don't like that matchup at all. Right, and it, it does kind of feel like a, a pick your poison. Are they going to run successfully? Are they going to pass successfully? Are they going to be a little bit more balanced? And, and I think it depends on who Tennessee has on the field and how much those certain personnels are on the field. Uh, I think, yeah, if you're Tennessee, you want your most – uh, sure tacklers on the field because of what this Florida uh, team has done uh, in the run game, averaging 335 or something like that um, so far this season. So I, I think you want to stop the run as much as you can uh, for as long as you can. I think Florida would rather control the offense and, and put long drives on this Tennessee defense and hope you can get a quick three and out out of this Tennessee offense that wants to move as fast as it does. Uh, if you can do that a couple times early, it's going to be pretty easy to tire out this Tennessee football team because they don't have the depth uh, that you need to compete in the SEC in these kind of games. Um, so I think if, if you're Tennessee, you have to look at Florida as a run first team right now, an option first team maybe, uh, and then worry about the pass and, and the stuff over the middle or, or whatever they want to do uh, through the air. Uh, they got to stop the run first and foremost. And if they can slow Florida down on the run, maybe they can slow Florida down in other areas. Yeah, I, I just I, I look at some of those those Florida backs, you know, coming out of the backfield and catching balls, or some of those slot guys, and and that that to me looks like an area where we're. I mean, then again, Florida might just be able to do the quarterback run stuff, and that works for sixty minutes, and they they get out of there and they're fine. But uh, you know, if it requires, if they have to do a little more play action, if they have to mix it up a little bit, I, I just. You know, I really thought that Tennessee's safeties would be a little bit better this season, and so far they haven't been. 
Uh, I really thought Trayvon Flowers was going to have a pretty good season, and he still might. Um, but but he's not he, he's not been great so far this season. McCullough's a little bit dinged up, and he's not you know he he's not playing as well as I thought he would either. And then we all knew some of the concerns at inside linebacker. So so as well as Tennessee's defense has played relative to what I thought it would be. Uh, I think you credit Rodney Garner and the defensive line for that. I think the corners have been pretty good. Uh, I think they've been pretty good tacklers in space and uh, when you run at them. But in this kind of game right here, I, I see I see some matchups I, I really don't like. But if you're playing a top-10 team or whatever, and I think despite the ranking, I think Florida's probably a top-10 team, um, you're going to have matchups you don't like, right? That's just part of it. I mean, Tennessee is – it's crazy, but you know you haven't exactly played the toughest schedule in the world with Bowling Green, Pitt, and Tennessee Tech. But Tennessee's fifth nationally in run defense, yep. averaging 55 yards, giving up a game. And even against that schedule, that's pretty impressive given what you kind of expected, or I guess the unknowns of this Tennessee defense, all the, the personnel they had to replace, what they had to do up front uh, on the defensive line, all that stuff to to average just giving up 55 yards a game, even if you're playing Bowling Green, Pitt, and Tennessee Tech. That's something. Obviously, it's going to be a completely different test this weekend. Uh, in Gainesville, um, but at least you've seen some progress early on there that makes you believe maybe they can slow them down a little bit. Yeah, even the way football is played now uh, with a lot more passing yards and a lot more wide-open offenses, still I think if you ask most defensive coordinators and defensive coaches, they would tell you, at least give me a defense that slows down the run because that gives me a chance. Uh, that that forces teams to be a, maybe a little bit more one-dimensional than they want to be. You know that that you'd probably pick that poison if you had to pick one. But the the way Tennessee's defended the middle of the field against the pass is still a concern, like it was last year. No, no matter what they do, it's like they're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic what, there with that passing game over the middle. But but you know it's the, I, I still think that maybe they would rather take that poison than a team that can just line up and run seven yards of carry on you. When when I think about the Tennessee defense over the first three games, the biggest glaring problem for me that that keeps coming back in my head is Kenny Pickett rolling right or rolling left and having a million, you know, uh, a million yards of green grass in front of him and a ton of options downfield. And he just keeps rolling and keeps rolling and he picks somebody downfield and he completes the pass. And once he gets out of that pocket, it's so much easier to attack your defense down the field Mm -hmm. if you've got that time. And Kenny Pickett compared to an Emory Jones or compared to an Anthony Richardson, obviously they're going to be able to get out of the pocket and do damage, uh, outside way quicker than Kenny could. I mean, Kenny, Kenny Pickett played really good at Tennessee and he had a lot of impressive throws, but if they can't contain these Florida quarterbacks, it's going to be a really long night because they can beat you in a lot of different ways. And if you're looking for our predictions of the game, you can you can go see them. We'll have them up Friday morning. We don't usually, even on other radio shows and other podcasts and stuff throughout the week, I don't give my predictions until Friday. So I make sure that the GoVols 24-7 subscribers get them first. Um, so, you know, we want to make sure they, that, that that we wait until then to do that. But We can't promise you'll like them. Yeah. But they'll be there. They'll be there. Yeah. The, I, I, I'll give you a hint. I don't think you're going to love it. But uh, if you're a Florida fan <laughs> listening, you'll probably like it. But, you know, hey, there are two programs uh, that want the same things, but they're in two different places right now. So, you, you, as Danny White said, you know, uh, earlier this week, Tennessee's athletic director, if the Floridas and Alabamas and Georgias of the world, they're not going to stop and let you slow and let, let you catch up. you got to hit a moving target. you got to be more efficient in everything you do every day because that's the only way that you're going to catch those guys. Grant, before we get out of here, uh, there was a big, big um, – Visitor last weekend for Tennessee, uh, Kaysen Wallace, five-star from Texas, a guy who is probably the number one player on Tennessee's board. What's the latest on that? And there's also some some big recruiting news coming up too for those guys, right? 
Right. We kind of talked about Kaysen last week and how it kind of seemed like everybody thinks he's a mortal lock to Kentucky and how maybe that wasn't the case. And this is this is to refresh five-star combo guard Kaysen Wallace, the number seven overall player in the country, who's he made his second official visit to Tennessee, and Tennessee's been out to see him a few times, uh, a lot of times over the summer and this fall. So obviously this is probably the, the biggest name on the board for Tennessee in 2022. And from talking to him, from talking to other people coming out of that visit, it felt like a lot of the stuff we talked about this time a week ago, that it, it's not really a Kentucky locker. If it is, I don't know it, and I'm not sure where it's coming from, from other people who think it's a Kentucky lock. I don't know if it's coming – I don't think it's coming from his family. I think there's some, his, I think there's some assumptions being made. Inner circle, yeah. It's, it's, I assume because it's a five-star kid, it's Kentucky. He said before it's his dream school, all this other stuff and all the factors that go in, into it that they think it's a done deal. I don't think it's a done deal. I think it's Tennessee uh, and Kentucky battling out, and I think it'll come down to November 7th. Uh, when he's set his commitment date on his birthday. So, I mean, he wanted to come back to Tennessee to see what the campus was like during a school year and kind of get that vibe versus what it was like in, you know, early June when nobody's in town and uh, kind of see the compare and contrast the differences there. I think you liked what he saw. I think I don't think Tennessee did anything to hurt itself. Tennessee's obviously full court press, 100% effort into this recruitment. If they don't land this kid, it's not because they didn't do something. They've done everything to make him know that he is a priority and all the, everything that they can do, they've done it. Uh, now turning to this weekend, obviously you want to host these kids on football weekends, home weekends, uh, but they're getting Julian Phillips in. He's a five-star power forward. He's at Linkier Prep in Branson, Missouri, but he's actually a South Carolina native. So Rick Barnes was out to see him earlier this week. So they, they've, they've been there a couple weeks ago. And then again, this week, he's a guy that's a top 20 player in the class. He's a guy that's, his recruitment's a little bit more all over the board. I think he only has a top 10 right now. He's visited USC recently. He's visited Florida State, uh, LSU in June. Uh, so he's got kind of those kind of schools involved. And he's a little bit more kind of all over the board and try, trying to trim down or decide what's going on. I don't really know what his, his timeline is, if he's a November signee or if he'll drag his stuff out to the spring. But Tennessee obviously believes that they're in it because they're devoting the resources to go see him and they're getting him on campus. So they're trying to be in the mix for another uh, another five-star guy, uh, another guy that they could really use, another elite talent, uh, and another guy that's like Cason Wallace. They feel like they're in it because of how much effort they're putting into it. But I tell you, every time I hear uh, LSU basketball and elite athlete, I, <laughs> I, I, I think about uh, the, the, the strong-ass offer concern. Uh, you know, is that – For thing? sure. You know, and, 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 and then I think about – how in the hell is Will Wade still LSU's basketball coach? It's, 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 it's a weird thing because, like, once every two weeks or so, and more so during the basketball season, but even not during basketball season, during the summer, during the fall, you know, it'll come up, and I'll just once every couple of weeks, I'll think, how the hell is he still there? It's amazing. It's amazing. It's like you get you get those random thoughts like, man, how does gravity work? Yeah, that's weird, man. You put an apple up there, it comes right back down. I don't understand this at all. How's Will Wade still coaching? What's that that that, that, that old uh, insane clown posse mean? Magnets. How do they work? <laughs> you know, it's uh, or bleeping magnets. Strong offers. How do they work? Yeah, how does that, how does that work? Uh, but one quick thing, last thing before we get out of here, I will say that uh, I should have mentioned this during the injury segment. I do think Paxton Brooks should be okay this week. Uh, obviously, proof will be in the pudding Saturday, but Tennessee's uh, Saturday, uh, Tennessee's uh, senior 
punter kickoff specialist. Uh, he didn't play at all last week uh, in the pit game. He just punted. He didn't do kickoffs because he's been out there limping. I think they feel like he'll be out there this week, which is which would be big because I don't think you want uh, Colby Morgan, the the freshman, who I think is going to be a good punter. But you you don't you don't really want his first road game being in the swamp as a freshman. That uh, that makes you think of uh, Britton Colquitt and some some bad decisions and things like that down there. <laughs> that's 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 not that's not ideal. So uh, that's that's where things are there. Uh, but I don't know why I do this, Grant. But I do this every time. You got anything else? Well, punters are people too. Specialists are people too. There you go. You have that one to end on. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for the time, Grant. See you. And that should wrap us up for this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Thanks to Grant for joining us. Thanks to all y'all for listening. More importantly, thank all of you for listening. We say this every every episode, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. If you want just Tennessee news in your feed, nothing else, get that at twitter.com slash govols 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govols 24-7 which we update all day, every day, tons and tons of good stuff on there. But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the tap, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets to get coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball, where it might be some tough news for those guys this week. they got some stuff to figure out to catch, we'll have more on that later. Got all things Lady Vols with the award-winning Maria Cornelius, who does all things Lady Vols for us all year long, tons and tons of good stuff on there. That a couple fresh, a couple dozen content items a day, basically, which you're getting from from 24/7 Sports from GoVols 24/7, and you can get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. We've also got access to uh, two boards, the Checkerboard and the Summit, where you can come talk to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we will talk to you about anything that is not political or religious in nature. And again. All of that costs you less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. We usually have a seven-day free trial, but right now we got an even better deal. Since it's Florida week, you got one day left, two months for one dollar. One dollar, Bob. That's all. Two months for one dollar. Uh, and once you do that and you start paying the full price, you get, which is still ridiculously reasonable, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus. Used to be CBS All Access. Now it's Paramount Plus, and there are so, so, so many things on there, guys. That is a $100 annual value that we give you for free. That's everything in the CBS catalog, every show CBS has ever made, commercial-free, tons of exclusive stuff like Picard, uh, Evil, which is a good show that a lot of people really like, uh, a lot of the Star Trek stuff, uh, some uh, the Mary Kingstown, which is coming out, which looks really, really good. It looks like a really, really good cast in that one. Uh, you get fresh movies, you know, like A Quiet Place 2, all that stuff that came out exclusively on Paramount Plus at first. You got a bunch of old classic movies on there, a bunch of really, really good ones, the Indiana Jones trilogy, a bunch of stuff like that. You also get uh, things from the vault of... Uh, Comedy Central, MTV, BET, Smithsonian, and Nickelodeon. So something for every age group of the family. You also get live sports with, uh, obviously, Vols and SEC stuff. You get some other college football. You get uh, college basketball, March Madness, NCAA Tournament, UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League, NFL, PGA Tour, Serie A, good stuff there. Some Americans play in that league. You get CONCACAF World Cup qualifying stuff, uh, you know, Comedy Bowl qualifying stuff. So, so many things are on there, guys. It is a $100-plus annual value that you get for free. For free. Again, for free. No strings attached. No one else can offer you that deal. We can. So go take advantage of that. If nothing else, guys, you should hear, hear from us uh, probably it's a late game Saturday. So probably or Sunday. We'll probably have a post-game stuff there early, early Sunday morning, late Saturday night, something like that. Until then, be good to each other. 
Uh, wear those freaking masks. Please get that vaccine, guys. Look at the numbers. Look at the science. Please be smart. Let's get this vaccine. Let's wear these masks. Let's be good to each other. If nothing else, be good to each other because there's just so much nastiness out there. Stop doing that. Until then, see you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.